Introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cams. It can be easily installed at your convenience and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get down for eSports! <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Nerf This, the esports show that has almost as many hosts as the Philadelphia Fusion have active players. I'm your host, Brian Huff. <laughs> The shade has been thrown. Oh, man. And I am joined, as I always am, by Seven. Hello, sir. Hey, how's it going? I'm I'm, uh, I'm so glad I threw that article at you, like, just minutes before the show, and you're just like, wow, I can spin this into uh, a very demeaning intro. Yeah. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. That's what I'm here for. You know, there's only a couple of reasons why they keep me on the payroll. My uh, masterful intros are one of those. <laughs> It's just not the bassy voice. No, it's, it's not the, the intros. It's the intros. We've got a lot to talk about. We have uh, Overwatch League stuff, as we always do. Philadelphia Fusion uh, looking in some trouble for the preseason, as well as uh, Overwatch League introducing microtransactions. Yay! Michael Udall has a shorter retirement than a 70s rock band. Seven is joined by Dr. J and John Horseman to talk about their favorite kobolds and catacombs reveals. We're going to talk a little bit about some LCK behavioral issues. Uh, Todd Harris joins us to talk about Wes's partnership with Hi-Rez on the Paladins Premier League. And, of course, our friend Kevin Hitt is back with his final Boston E-League Major Legends preview. But first, I need to take a breath. And let's talk some E-League Cup. Rocket League on television, well, on Twitch, soon to be on television, and... It's amazing what you can do when you just play the format the game was meant to be played in. Yeah, I mean, they actually listened, uh, and it was a spectacular tournament, um, especially when you get down to the finals and you have a best of seven that goes all seven rounds, and it's a nail-biter. Uh, it's perfect TV for when it hits TV, and it made for uh, just a great tournament to watch. Yeah, it was incredibly well done. I mean, it is an easier game to follow, obviously, but it was a ton of fun. The matches were great. The final was awesome. They could have not asked for a better final. It was, quite honestly, that turnout that we needed Rocket League to have for, I think, people to latch on. Like You and I have been talking about, like, man, I feel like Rocket League is on the cusp. And if they could just get somebody to stop screwing with it, I'm looking at you, NBC, and just do it regular old Rocket League and let's watch the teams play as they play in the RLCS and watch the quality of play that you get from that format and we were rewarded the I amazing best of seven in the finals like either team could have taken it it looked like either team was going to take it you had two top yeah. quality teams 
it, there were some nail biting overtimes throughout the tournament. Like if if you follow um, Christina Alejandre, who works at E League on Twitter, and just watching her, like I'm sitting in the control room and I don't know what to do. Like it was it was incredibly well done. I, I, that's all I can do is applaud them because it just turned out to be exactly what Rocket League needed. Yeah, and it was. Uh, it, it did. It became one of those matches where out of the gate. Uh, you had a G2, which was kind of the underdog in this, right? Because Gale Force is the RLCS champions. Yep. And so you've got uh, some random weird box just like fell next to me. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> but you had G2 coming out just uh, destroying Gale Force. 5-1, I think uh, JNAP had something like three goals right in the first first game. Yep. It was just – but then, it, you know, it swings, right? Gale Force comes back and stomps them to the next two. And then they get stumped again. And then it just becomes uh, the the nail-biter, right? Five goes zero one, six goes into OT with G2 coming out just 2-1. And then at the end, ugh, the 3-2, it, it was just it, – it, it turned into um, full-on offense to midway through switch like, oh, Everyone's we should scared. probably do some bumps and demos, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yep. There was no up up until match five. There was the smallest margin of victory was three goals. So there was like a five one and a four one and a three zero, and so it was it was pretty offensive. The unfortunate part is is Gale Force had ever it was completely in their control to take this home. Like when you blow it on an own goal, like that that is probably yeah. the worst possible way to go to a match seven. Yeah, it was. I mean. To be fair, it was more than likely going to go in anyways, because uh, I think it might have been Rizzo that was right there on top of it to knock it in, uh, and so it was it it was going to go in <laughs> more than likely. It just didn't help that uh, it was uh, uh, bounced off of the basically bounced off the the one side of the goal, bounced into another, and then went in. But there, that's what kind of was happening to Gale Forces. They were stumbling. And uh, right in front of goal, and they went from the first half of the game, just as, or first half of this best of seven, just full on offense. They were getting like goals right out of kickoffs. I think it's like game two. They had two back to back off of kickoffs, and yep. he's like, "G two, what are you doing? Hello!" And they just kind of gave up at that point. Um, but you could see just this mental shift uh, again halfway through when they lost that three zero on on four, and then it just kind of. Uh, again, happened at number six. Like, mentally, they were just they they were off their game. They were defeated. G two had nothing to lose. They weren't supposed to even make it to a game six technically in this, right? Uh, they, everybody assumed Gale Force was going to sweep them. Gale Force hasn't lost. Uh, uh, they haven't dropped a match in the last fourteen they've played. They didn't drop a match in the entire series or the entire tournament. Yep. Uh, and so you just mentally, I think Gale Force uh, was just broken down and g2 was just riding that wave even though they lost two pretty pretty bad of <laughs> the first three uh they they came back strong yeah and they and they looked for a while there like they were going to do it and that they had found their feet and things had calmed down a bit and they were going to take out g2 fairly handily like they were, they got in their groove. G two wasn't bumping as much as they should have been, and it overall looked positive for them. But all the credit in the world to G two, they turned it around on the end of that final goal in Game Six and Game Seven. You know, other than that last like thirty seconds, which by the way, that save with like six seconds left when it was three two G two, that man needs a beer. 
Like that was a <laughs> masterful save at the most higher pressure moment you could possibly imagine. Because the last thing you want to do is have that thing go to overtime against Gale Force in game seven. And you were six seconds away from that happening. And he just came across the goal in the last second with that save. And it was the perfect way to cap it off though, right? Like that, that was the perfect summary of how that matchup between those two organizations went. And it was, it was great. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And just love the fact that I could watch the entire finals in like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Like and, and not skip over all the commentary. Like it was wonderful. And I have to, I don't know if you noticed it. Uh, it kind of was, it was very, very subtle, I believe. Unless I could, I don't know. It could be this beer. We haven't talked about the beer yet, but uh, it was there some AR going on. Did you see that some, on the stage where they had like the ball and the two different vehicles? I believe so, yes. I think it's the, the same shot? technology that they were using for Street Fighter. Right, right. But, I mean, I, I hadn't seen them really use much of that. Uh, and so it was, it was kind of – it was cool because it was a very, very subtle thing. It wasn't, like, over the top, right? You just kind of – it almost looked like part of the set, which I thought was really, really neat. Um, and just from a technical standpoint, I thought that was, that was cool. It was a good way of just adding it in there. And it almost took me by surprise because I just – wasn't expecting it and then it wasn't until like the third time that i watched it i was like am i certain that that's not real <laughs> no, it's like the it's the beer. <laughs> it, was, it was good it was well done yeah overall two thumbs up for our friends at e-league and to uh, rocket league like that was awesome um i'll be interested again like it, it's always it's slightly disappointing in, in this regards because it is just kind of a one-off and it makes you wonder what could happen if e-league could work out some more permanent partnership with the rlcs where we get to see more regularly televised rocket league like again as we've probably banged on about ad nauseum on the show it's the one with the most obvious sports analog without being a true sports game, um, which apparently mm-hmm. our listeners on Twitter are very, very worked up about. I don't know how that happened. We got pulled into this random conversation about like sports analogs and how like if it's just a sports game, people would rather watch sports. But this is sports-like enough that you get it, but not so sports that you just go watch the sport. So right, there's right. something there. there. I'm telling you, there's something there. And we'll... Yeah, we'll have to see where that goes. But uh, overall, two thumbs up to to E League and Rocket League. It was it was well done. Well Solid tournament. Yep. Yes. Yes. So before we move on, as you've pointed out, I have once again for the second week in a row <laughs> forgotten about the beer. And, and to be like to be honest, this is because once again I am not drinking this week, um, not by any you know philosophical reason. I just forgot to buy beer again. So uh, why don't you talk about the beer that you're drinking that apparently <laughs> is making you see three D balls? <laughs> well, uh, that's an excuse I've probably used more than once in my life. But uh, it's a Founders Breakfast Stout, going stout. And it wasn't until we were about, what, like a minute out from the show. I was like, whoa, 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 8.3%. That explains some things. Whoopsies. Um, because I was like, why is this already hitting me? This is great. Uh, but anyway, it's, a, it's a, a double chocolate coffee oatmeal stout. So by all means, a breakfast stout. Uh, by founders, I think they're out of Michigan. It's good stuff. I'm I'm enjoying it. It's I'm very not, midwesterny. Like, double it, chocolate. It is. <laughs> yeah, right. Double chocolate. Uh, <laughs> shot of insulin and some coffee, oatmeal, and stout. Yeah. Um, but no, it's a it's it's a solid stout. I I do enjoy it. I've got another one at home. Uh, so once I finish recording, I'm going to go home and have another. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. Well, enjoy, sir. Try not to get too tipsy. 
We we not. I don't want you like oh balls. You know, in the middle. Usually, of the show. what happens is post show when I'm a little tipsy and I need to uh, you know sober up before I head home. <laughs> I just put some Hearthstone. You have to like <laughs> so, Uber your way home because you'd get arrested if you drove. Yep, exactly. Responsible exactly. podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or laddering on Hearthstone. <laughs> <laughs> this is is that, that your excuse for not being legend? Is that what's going on? Ah, uh, this past week, man, or this past month. Uh, I, I was doing so well, and then I didn't get Legend at the end. Just just ran out of time for matches. Mm. Halfway through, like I think it was like 10 days in, I was like already ranked 10 or something like that, which is usually good because I have a scramble at the end of the month. But And then I just, I think I got as many matches in like day two as I got the rest of the last half of the month. So, ah, sucks to be me. But life is hard. We have a lot of Hearthstone to talk about and i'm excited this month yes we do have a lot of hearthstone to talk about before we get to that i got the chance to sit down with todd harris coo and co-founder of high-res studios to talk about paladins and our favorite punching bag wessa and uh yeah he had some interesting things to say about it so uh, check it out and we are now joined by todd harris coo and co-founder of high-res studios to talk a little paladins todd welcome to the show thanks brian good to be here so we have High Res Expo coming up, my uh, my favorite way to ring in the new year, and this will be the first time that we have, I don't want to call it official Paladins, but last year we had the Invitational, but this year we have the culmination of the World Championship, which takes both the Global Series as well as the Premier League that's kicked off in September into account. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how we got here to this point in the Paladins esports scene? Yeah, we've definitely stepped things up since last year's competition and as you mentioned it is interesting because it folds together two different paladins esports scenes so the paladins premier league is really the highest level of competition and that started basically this uh fall and there were five weeks of online play and then a land that we just had a couple uh weeks ago and that qualified the teams from north america and europe And then those teams are going against the best teams from other regions uh, that come out of the Paladins Global Series. So that's bringing in the best team from Australia, from the Russian CIS region, from Latin America, Spanish-speaking, and also Brazil and, and Southeast Asia. So it's been awesome to have these regional competitions. And then, of course, it's always pretty hype when the regions get to battle one another and the game is young enough that the meta is still forming and you see definitely different play patterns between the regions so everyone's pretty excited about seeing this thing come together in january so you bring up an interesting point I think it's worth talking about is on the meta and it being a young game and obviously still an open beta. Uh, you guys are producing a significant amount of changes and champions on a regular basis. Have you felt any additional pressure on that now that you know that you have this, you have the Global Series, you have the Premier League going on, and these tend to have a much larger impact when you're talking about a professional scene and the changes that you're making to the game? They do, and I think... You know, one of the reasons at high res actually that we start our competitive scene early is we think the high-level competitive play and people performing at the highest level helps inform the game. It helps make a better, more balanced game more quickly just because you have these elite players uh, with money on the line. So that's why with Paladins and even before that with Smite, we tend to start competitive activity 
early. As you mentioned, the game's still in early access. So that definitely helps inform the game. And then when it comes uh, to the other, the other way, you know, so the design team making changes and that affecting the esports scene, we are deliberate about that. You know, when we release a new champion, we, we typically make sure it spends some time First of all, not even in ranked play within the, the ranked competitive queue and, and then uh, some additional bacon time before it's allowed in competitive play. So an example of that would be the most recent uh, champion introduced in, in Paladins. Uh, Vivian is not uh, going to be a, uh, seen at HRX because she's just too new and she's a little she's a little OP. She's a little overtuned right now. She, uh, she's my favorite it. champion by of course. coincidence. Okay. <laughs> Every, everybody's favorite right now. But, uh, you know, that's an example where we know, um, as with any developer, you don't get it perfect the first time and, and uh, you need some time to tune that. So um, we take that into consideration. But at the same time, all of these pro players know they're involved with an early access game. We're pretty transparent about the teams that came into the scene that, you know, it's going to be a, a wild ride for a little bit because we're still in early access and there's some experimentation and it's still young for the game and most of these players and teams find that exciting because they have to evolve to uh, to stay on top definitely let's let's step back a bit and talk a bit more about the premier leagues because this is a interesting approach something that we have not seen come to fruition fully in the fact that you this is a partnership with the world esports association this is i believe the first major deal that they've done outside of the work that they've done in counter-strike can you talk to me a little bit about what led to the partnership with wessa and how you feel like that has gone so far through the first season yeah, it's been a really good partnership. And as you mentioned, uh, that organization, I, th I think, is known for a couple things. Certainly, the Pro League in, in Counter-Strike is where uh, there's a consortium of teams that, that came together and are playing in that Pro League that is under WESA regulations. And then also, they're just a body uh, whose mission is really to professionalize esports and make sure that... Um, treatment of players and of teams continues to advance because historically the publisher has held all the power, right? And as a publisher, sometimes that's nice, but we also believe that for esports to grow, the whole ecosystem has to grow. And that comes down to some of the economics and ways for people to earn a living, um, but also just general kind of treatment so that the whole scene gets more professional. So Certainly that vision made sense to us. You know, we wanted to support that, and that's something we've tried to do as a publisher is treat teams and players fairly, uh, kind of with our background primarily in Smite. And so since with Paladins, it was a new game, we kind of had a fresh start. It just was a partner that uh, we thought would make a lot of sense. And so, yeah, we've worked with them and uh, 10 teams that, uh, again, had participated in Counter-Strike Pro League and also in uh, other games, you know, that are out there. And um, that was the inaugural season this fall. And so far, it's gone really, really well. It's been a good partnership. 
You brought up something that I think is worth talking a little bit more about because one thing that esports has that is very different from you know quote unquote traditional sports is that somebody owns the sport, right? The the publisher, the developer, very much has this extra weird vested interest in that it's a business and they're selling the game and that's how they make their money primarily. Like esports has not reached the point where it is a primary money making venture for any developer out there, and and it's interesting to hear you talk a bit about that and, and the partnership with Wesa because it is something that I think esports needs more of is that clear separation between the developer as a business and the developer as, as I guess, a advocate for esports. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, a hot topic right now because different publishers have different approaches to that. Right. And um, since esports really started uh, primarily as a marketing activity. Well, of course, the community first, but you know, a little bit of a business venture for the for the publisher, and it's grown way past that. So, what do you do with that situation? And some publishers are becoming, uh, you know, even more hands-on. Some are completely hands-off, and some are in between. So, for us, because esports is young. We want to stay involved mainly to make sure that teams and players are, are treated well because we've just seen a lot of examples of going too far the other way when a third party uh, running leagues just maybe it wasn't done well. You know, players don't get paid or the communication isn't clear. So we've always wanted to be involved enough to make sure that the competitors and the teams um, are rewarded for their time and everything's done with integrity. But at the same time, now there are these other partners like WESA that, that share that vision. So, um, you know, for us, it's, uh, it's kind of a middle approach where we're very much still uh, administering the league because we want to make sure it's done with integrity. But we're working with WESA to help ensure that our rules and regulations are kind of reflecting what is best available out there in the industry, right? And they have some visibility to other scenes, Counter-Strike specifically, but also other games that they don't directly admin. And so it helps us make sure that over time uh, the Paladin scene is, is the best it can be. And the partnership also allows you to bring in larger organizations that have experience in a wide variety of esports. I mean, when you talk about even who's going to be at High Res Expo this year, your Virtus Pros, your Ninjas in Pajamas, your Navis, Fanatics, etc. Like, that's also has to be a huge part of this because to get established organizations like that into the Paladins ecosystem can only be a positive thing. Yeah, that's right. And that was one of the pretty nice things about um, the the appetite that we saw, right, is, again, we, we started in early access, but uh, certainly the team shooter genre is hot, you know, with, with uh, other games in that category, creating a lot of noise, but Paladins has a few pretty unique elements, and so we had these teams independently reach out to us and, and actually had more interest than we uh, felt comfortable launching with as far as spots you know which is a nice situation yes. to be in so we constrained it uh to 10 for now um you know with, with five in north america and, and five in europe and as you mentioned they're all um amazing uh esports organizations that not only have a lot of track record of, of working in the space with other games but now also are have the benefit of, of some investment right from other professional sports 
teams and or cities and, and other things, you know, partners that, that really are taking this seriously. So, yeah, it, it's been it's been great. It was a great kind of validation for the game out of the out of the gate. And again, there's we wish we could accommodate even some of the, the other teams, but we thought it's better to start with a with a tight and very solid lineup and, and build from there later. That's a good point because I think this is something we've also seen with a bit of the reorganization that's happened on the Smite side. This has happened in, in other, um, I won't name esports games that have struggled a bit with this. But if you start out too big, keeping the level of competition up, finding enough high quality organizations and more importantly, high quality players to keep it a not a fully level playing field. But what you never want is like this massive gap between like the top two or three teams and the rest. And that's something that I think that you've found a decent balance with with both Paladins and Smite is to not overexpand for the sake of overexpanding and keep the level of play pretty high across the organizations. Exactly. Yeah, you mentioned two of the key components. So one is just the organization, the organization itself. You know, are they dedicated to this space long term, and uh, you know, do they have all the uh, ingredients necessary to uh, support their players long term and that's the team org structure itself and then there's the roster you know are is the talent there to play at that competition Um, and then the third element is what's your feeder system to keep new talent coming in and and how do you continue to raise the bar and again for us the the pgs the paladins global series acts as a feeder within north america and europe and then with the 10 team lineup we had pretty solid competition. I mean, in the in the uh, online play, there were a couple teams that that struggled a bit at the bottom, um, but you know we saw a lot of improvement, and the and the LAN event was still you know super exciting, and uh, you know with some upsets, including even a case of a uh, you know global series team not going all the way through, but defeating uh, some of the you know defeating one PPL team on their path there. So. So what do you feel like, we've talked a lot about what has been working well, what lessons have you learned in this first season? Obviously the World Championship still to be played, but there probably are some things that are not going maybe necessarily the way you expected it, or things that you're like, oh, we're going to have to do this different for next season. Well, you know, I think anytime you kick off a new league, and, and some of these orgs we had worked with in, in the past um, with, uh, with Smite, um, but others were brand new, so... You know, there is just a lot of uh, the game of telephone that, that comes into this that people <laughs> probably just don't think about, right? Like when you're doing these events and making sure players are, are showing up on time and, you know, literally just getting kind of the the contacts established across all of the various teams and organizations as far as um, not just the players, but the manager and the social media manager, you know, there, there's a lot that has to come together. So, some of um, it's not so much a lesson learned, but there's some startup issues that come at the very beginning of just making sure everyone is communicating, right? And so I think there was a little bit of that in the in the very first season that smoothed out a ton um, leading up to the land, and it's going to be you know great at HRX because even the international teams will now be here in person and and we get to establish a lot of face to face contact. So I think most of what we've seen is just some of that. You know, is the first time. Uh, these 10 land teams are all coming together and, and putting names with faces and that sort of thing. 
Great. Now, we also have console competition for Paladins coming up at HRX as well, and you're going to take a similar approach to what you did at DreamHack, where we are going to have an Xbox and a PS4 finals, but you're actually going to have a cross-platform finals as well. Yeah, we call it console wars, and you know it's it's pretty unusual, certainly for a shooter, because uh, again, the publishers of shooters tend to you know pick a, a favorite, honestly, between Xbox and PlayStation <laughs> that where they're supporting it. That's just where the business um, of publisher deals tends to kind of intersect with the the competitive scene. And so with Paladins, we've taken a different approach. And as you say, we, we run uh, and have been running a console series where we qualify the best Xbox teams uh, from North America, the best Xbox from Europe, and then the best PlayStation from North America and Europe. And we are bringing together those four best teams uh, for this format. So first, we'll play by region. So Xbox North America versus Europe and PlayStation Xbox North America versus Europe. And then we get to see... Uh, the best team on each platform play head to head, which is a pretty cool format. It were, you know it was it was super exciting when we when we did it at DreamHack Valencia this summer, and so we're looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, Todd, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. If you want to check out the Paladins World Championship or the Paladins Console Wars, you can do so January 4th through the 7th, either at High Res Expo if you already have a ticket, or of course you can uh, stream it online. Todd, thank you very much. Oh yeah, it was great talking to you. Thanks, Brian. And I am joined now once again by Jules Scott to talk a little bit of HGC. Um, so I want to start with one thing in particular. I was going to start with NA overall, but then like my Twitter feed started blowing up, and I watched this video, this super overdone video, with this <laughs> man who I'm pretty sure just retired, telling me he's bad. Like This is the equivalent of like... I know this has happened, and I'm really struggling to find the right celebrity metaphor, but this is like one of those things where it's like, hey, guys, I quit, and then like four days later, like, start the hype, I'm back. So Michael Udall, <laughs> everybody's favorite HGC player, sorry, I can't even say that with a straight face, um, <laughs> retires, makes a big deal about it, we get a twit longer, like, life is hard, I suck at the game, blah, 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 um, only to like come back, what has it been, maybe two months? Not even two months. Oh, I don't think this is depressing. It was it was after BlizzCon. Yeah, it was after BlizzCon, and it's not even been a month since BlizzCon. So I, that was what I. So my my headline to Brian for 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 the prep for the show was: Can you really unretire if you've retired before the new season starts? <laughs> this is Brett Favre. That's what I was looking for. Sorry, I needed a second. This is like Brett Favre who like retired at the end of every season, but then came back before the next season started. It was very hard to be a Packers fan. During the time that Brett Favre was doing that, He's just toying with that. your emotions. The difference is, is Michael Udall is like the opposite of Brett Favre. <laughs> Zinger. He's not humble, and he's not as good as Brett Favre. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's true. How you really feel? I'm sorry, I it's mean... true. And he's been on the show before. I have nothing personal against him, but like, he's a little overblown. Like he he gets the credit because Blizzard marches him out there, Mister Like Heroes of the Dorm success story. But like in the end, like he hasn't done a whole lot to move his team forward, which is why he originally retired, in my opinion. Like, yeah, yeah. It, well, you know, th the reason that they did that was because he's got charisma, and charisma sells. So um, he he knows how to how to work in front of a camera. He knows how to make people react to things. Um, he knows how to be a brand, which is that's what they did. Um, but 
this whole thing, if you guys hadn't heard, we had this whole blow up about how Michael Udall was going to re- retire from Gale Force Esports, from esports in general. He was, or he wasn't going to retire from esports. He was going to retire from active playing. But he had all these other things in in the hopper. Tried a little bit of casting, some analysis on his stream, and then we're waiting, we're waiting, waiting to see what Gale Force Esports is going to come up with their roster, and then the video drops on Twitter. Oh man. <laughs> He had that professionally produced as well, which, uh, you know, I, I <laughs> kudos, I guess it just I, I'm not a fan of that kind of showboating, especially when it comes to uh... <laughs> nobody even had the chance to miss the guy. Not that we would have. I, that's what it is. <laughs> like, we didn't have a chance to miss him because <laughs> he's like, you didn't think I was done, did you? I was like, well, actually, yeah, we kind of did. We thought you. <laughs> took your ball and went home, Cartman, and, like, you didn't even make it halfway home, and then you came back, hey, guys, I got the ball again. Like, it's not... That was a really bad Cartman impression, by the way. Uh, but it was, like, <laughs> I... I, Oh, man. This I, was hard. This was actually very hard for me to understand. Uh, this whole... Now, Gale Force Esports announces their roster, and they come back with only Michael Udall and Aquaface as the original members from Phase 2. They've brought in B-Kid and Big Impact from Lagforced, Lagforce, sorry, and Fury, formerly from Temple Storm, who used to be on Gale Force Esports. And there was some drama when they released him in June 2016. What is old is new again? I guess. I guess. <laughs> I guess. It's just an interesting... Okay, so now HGC... Off season, they could have up to three players swapped out right. and still maintain their roster spot in HGC. So Michael Udall retires, quote unquote, and then they want to switch out a bunch of people, right? You know, or that those people are being acquired by other teams and they don't want to stay. So had he not come um, back, it would have just been Akaface then, right? And they wouldn't have been. been able to do that technically. No, so that's where I'm a little bit skeptical about this whole retirement thing, whether or not it was his choice. Or not. And then, they well, okay. They have to keep him in order to maintain the roster. Until so, when, yeah. though, right? Like, is this, a ca- is yeah. this a case where they get to whatever, and I don't know what the deadline is, but they get to whatever point in time in the season in which they have to keep him on, and then they swap him out for somebody else. Like, they just need him That'll to. That'll be around, yeah, next phase in 2018 when okay. they can do the next, next phases. They, I think at that point can only do two swaps. This has been, I've been digging and digging and digging for information. The official rules still state that you can only swap out two players for between different phases, but then there's been unconfirmed information and clearly they can swap out three players. It's not in the rules yet. I can't find it. So I've been looking. And to be fair, Um, their rules are a little hard to parse at times. I, dude, I spent like 20 minutes yesterday digging up their rules, reading every single one of them, and could not find where the difference was. So, in any case, Gale Force Esports looks kind of like a Frankenstein team to me. Uh, that's my opinion. And, and they brought somebody back feeling... from the dead, so it fits. I know, they did! <laughs> and there was a little bit of drama. So, um, let's hope that they can put that drama behind them and do what they need to do. But I predict it's going to be a traveling shit show i kind of agree with you i don't like what gale force looks like because there's some huge egos on that team right now yeah big ones yes Yes. but they're not the only team that changed in a 
almost all yeah. of NA looks pretty different. That even like we talked about it's been two weeks now. There's a lot of rumors yeah. flying around and we were talking about the Reddit thread, but things look quite a bit different now. Yeah. I mean the Reddit thread was almost spot Which on. Is scary. But what they, you know that was an internal leak then, and you don't oh, know yeah. where it came from. They're hyping but, it uh, up. This is they want it to be like League of Legends off season, so they're like, we'll, we'll, we'll leak this out and we'll be like a Reddit thread. Wink wink. We got we got <laughs> We uh we got the final rosters uh, announced. We we knew most of them when I was here last. Um, but then we did get confirmed that Superstars now changes their names to Old Gods, which is an interesting thing. Their their entire team has been gutted. There is not a single original member of Superstars remaining from Phase One. So I guess that's why the name change. But it's like again, this is that is in like, the rules like, too. No, there shouldn't be a need to change a name. I don't understand the change in name. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Esports. Um, <laughs> esports. Because esports. Because um, <laughs> esports. There's, but that is going to be, again, that's kind of a Franken team. It's so weird. Uh, it's Airho, Hosty, Zuna, King Caffeine, and K1 Pro. I don't know about this team either, man. <laughs> they could either be insane because they've got some high level play going on in there, but there's also a lot of drama. Zuna, Erho, those guys are drama magnets. And that's, I just, I can't see it, dude. I can't see how they can actually get along and be on the same team, work together. Well, we'll find out. I have kind of the same feelings. Like some of these rosters, it, it almost feels like, okay, these teams are solid. And then everybody just scattered a bunch of roster pieces on the floor and randomly picked them up because there is not a lot of cohesion on at least two or three of these rosters. Old okay. Gods, Gale Force being two in particular that are examples of just kind of like, there wasn't really a strategy in putting this together. There was not like, oh, they're good at this and they're good at this. It was literally like, here's what's left. Let's try to grab the best that we can and hope it works. Pick up your Mahjong pieces and start going. Yes. Um, <laughs> but that being said... I am stupidly excited to see what's going to happen with NA because it is, it's probably going to be a shit show and I can't wait to see the shit show. It's like a bad reality TV. Like, you know, they're not, they're still not going to beat Korea or Europe, but it'll be fun to watch it burn. Oh gosh. I'm so excited to see what, what will happen and how these teams will actually try to gel together. Um, but it is a, uh, without, there's going to be, I think going to be a good chunk of, Three super teams, and the rest of them are going to be fighting for that mid and bottom spot, trying to like rotate themselves around. Because we did lose Lag Force. Lag Force. They were uh, formerly Neventic. Neventic. They they broke away from the org because the org wasn't paying them. Yep. Um. Which side note? Just want to make note. Those guys fought for their roster spot twice in HGC by going into the Crucible and winning. And then they did that, especially in phase two. They go to win. They win, and then their team gets gutted. And that's the part I don't quite understand. I thought the whole concept of what Blizzard had put in place with the HGC was supposed to stop things like this from happening. Right. And yeah. it doesn't... Across the board, right? The fact that Neventech can get away without paying them, I thought was right. just supposed to be something we weren't supposed to have to worry about. And right. then they win the Crucible twice... But what does it matter that, like, if a team, if you're telling me systematically that if a team falls into the crucible, they're not a viable team, then why have that concept? Right. And that's right. what this kind of seems like is going on here. 
what it what it is allowing to have happen is that the open division is is farming these teams and then but we've had now two qualified teams for HGC in NA disband because their teams got gutted and yeah. then brought up two teams from open division who didn't quote, quote unquote qualify for their spot they gained the points to get there but they didn't fight their way to the crucible to get there um so you so still end up with the open teams you do but, but not the ones they... you expected yeah and is this really working is this really how it should be? You know, I keep calling it the farm teams, but I feel like that's what they are. They're the, the, the they're out there farming the talent and and getting better and going into competition and fighting for their spot, which is you know this glory day that's supposed to be that kind of thing. But then you look at it and see, oh, they fought, they lost, and then they still get the spot because someone else just was like the, another team got destroyed. Yeah, and that's weird because I don't, yeah. and I don't know the right solution for that, right? Because right. unless you just lock the roster, but that doesn't seem fair either, because then you take away the opportunity for that team to get better coming into the HGC if you tell them that like those those players are not available, right? They can't leave; they are locked into that spot because they came in through the Crucible. But you can't do that either because then yeah. you're, you're you're holding them back. So you're just like, but the fact that they can be gutted to the point of literally like non-existence is just a weird thing it feels like there's something being done out of order or some sort like something needs to happen that locks that org in in some better way so they can't be in that situation like are players not under contract at this point like is it because people are just running one-year contracts and by the time the crucible is up and that organization qualifies that they can't like the contracts are up so those players are free to go like is that the problem and they're not even contracted in the way that it works for for someone who qualifies for HGC. They're only locked. In, excuse me. They're only locked into that roster for the first phase. So there's like a you know six month or four or five month time period where you have to stay with that roster unless you decide that you're just going to just you know drop them for right. whatever reason. Like there needs to be some kind of act of God type of thing happening um, to drop your roster. So you're locked. Then you get into the uh, to the acquisition and, and swap period, and all it's open. Like you can do whatever the hell you want. Which it, it's worth noting that this happened in NA twice now, where the the teams were so like unstable or not feeling like they had what they wanted that they just they gutted teams to make another new team or other new teams. Which is weird because. I feel like ultimately you're lowering the quality of play because what they're doing is, is oftentimes these people are coming in to replace other people that are like just losing roster spots that at some point were good enough to compete at the HGC level because it's not like we're having like a rash of retirements. They're just going, well, I'd rather try out this new person that, that played well in the Crucible than this person that is a known quantity that's played in the HGC and we'll let that person go. So you are lowering the quality, in my opinion, by doing that, combined with the fact that you're now bringing up non-winning teams that right. did not prove that they were HGC-worthy and bringing them into the HGC because the teams that won no longer exist. And I think yeah. that's actually bad. Like I, I would argue that you have a lesser quality of play across the HGC by allowing that to continue to happen. Yeah, because if you look at the team, even in death that was there, brought up last year because B-Step disbanded they sat at eighth place in hgc phase two and uh, lost their crucible spot 
Um, so then they're sitting there with these five players that are either going to continue to go through open division or maybe be pu- like pulled out of that team to be replaced by another player in the in the current division. But that didn't really happen except for one of them, I believe. So it means that that HGC time that they spent really didn't benefit them as players. They didn't like. Nope. They didn't grow as a player to be HGC material, as you just said. Which is, I guess we shouldn't be surprised if they're not supposed to be there in the first place, right? Like, you have to have, there's a bar for quality of play that you're just not, like, an entire organization is not going to go from, like, not even being good enough to win the Crucible to, like, even mid-tier HGC player. Like, there's probably, like, this line that until you cross it, like, you have no business ever playing in the HGC. And some players are just not going to get there, which is fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But we have a system that promotes a good amount of those organizations now into the HGC. And then we just kick them back and, like, say, sorry, you suck. And, like you said, if none of those players individually are getting good enough to be plucked back into the HGC, what is the point of all of this? Right. There needs to be some kind of coaching system. They need they need to have um, development for these players. But you'll, you'll hear rumors about how they all set up their own scrims and certain teams won't scrim other teams because they're not good enough. And so it's not it's not organized for them to be able to improve except for the limited amount of talent that they can spend their time with playing. So these guys are going out and they're going out and playing hero leagues. And, you know, in solo queue hero league, they're going out there to try and to that's get better. How they're, that's, that's their only method of improvement. And that is not going to teach you how to team fight. It's not going to teach you how to coordinate, you know, to combo all those things that you need to know. So it's a mechanics thing, long, but if you're, it me- is, and you- if your mechanics are not great, like that's fine. But I'd argue that like most of the organizations failing are not because of like somebody's ability to hit a skill shot on a consistent basis. It's like team organization and shot calling and strategy and team fights. Like you mentioned, like all those things are, I have lots of feels here. (laughs) I do. And I, I really, I love HCC. I watch it every week. It's a passion of mine. I want to see these players get better. And I see the, the issues that we have right now, we're still dealing with the previous, like how these guys got in in the first place, which is that they were out there playing in these, these open teams and then they qualify for this new league. So they're still, we're still shaking out some of those players that maybe shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. Like I, I yeah. still argue, and this is like, we talked a little bit about this on the show last week when, in regards to over, overwatch contenders is that, Having a number of players willing to play the game at that level and is very different than a number of players capable of playing the game at that level. And True. if you dilute it, which I believe truly, especially in NA, the HGC has done. And I get it's not super sexy to be like, we have a you know HGC of five teams. But if that's all you can support at high-quality play, I'd rather see five high-quality teams then like eight, ten, two tiers of eight or ten, like that mm-hmm. are, are just not capable. And if you're not going to put systems in place, eight, look for Heroes of the Storm as an esport to grow, the overall quality of play across the board needs to get better. Like in yes. my opinion, and right now there's no financial, ben- no direct that you can tell a top tier team benefit to them scrimming with a bottom tier team so that bottom tier team can get better. There's the, right. and until you can and I don't this is hard to do but until you can instill this like sense of ownership and responsibility on the entire HGC to understand that look we're only as good in the grand scheme of things as our lowest common denominator 
Mm-hmm. And if that lowest common denominator is a shitty open team that has no business being here, that has to scrim in Hero League, that's not good for it no. as the health of the esport. Which is why you're seeing the EU teams going to Korea to learn and boot camp. That's where they're going because the talent is so much stronger yep. in there. And yet then they're like, they're all confused. They don't understand the metas. They, it's all different. It's just, there is a lot that needs to be improved for the teams to be improved. So it's just this, it's like this spiral. It's like the circle. It just keeps trying to like, the snake is eating its tail. <laughs> it's just not working. So, um, the, but I'm going to still be watching. I'm still going to be cheering. I'm really excited to see what these, like, I'm going to call them Franken teams for a while. I'm going <laughs> to see, see how they shake out because it's going to be cool. There's going to be some drama and there's going to be some really, really cool plays. I also have a feeling that everybody is going to maximize the use of the two roster swaps that they're going to get after the first phase. Oh, you know what? Um, we could put that bet out there right now. And just, I think <laughs> we hit the spring and there's just going to be chaos. Um, that that Reddit thread that I was watching, that that whole big piece of the Reddit thread, yep. um, constantly, constantly, like, people on Reddit love drama. Though. Oh, yeah. And, so, and there's so much of it when it comes to these roster apocalypse. It's almost like you need to buy popcorn for them. So I don't see that going away. In the next phase. It's going to be great. So anything else yeah. in NA we should know about? Any, any other major surprising moves that came out of th- this last round of swaps? You just need to know also that the uh, the team that actually does come in to replace Lagforce is the actual team is imported support, but they were acquired by LFM Esports, who also had a team in the o- open division. It's a little confusing. It confused me. Um, at the first, I'm like, oh, they got LFM? Wait. What? No, it's imported support. So now they are running okay. under the flag of LFM Esports, but it is the roster of imported support who played in the Crucible. Okay, and year. LFM Esports, though, do they continue to be allowed to have their open division squad as well? Oh, good question. I don't. I'm guessing that's their only team, unless they do like a an you know an MVP thing where they're just doing different divisions. Right, that right. Group. Um, haven't heard about that yet, but this confused the heck out of me. So if you guys are going, wait a minute. I thought Imported Support was the one that went to the Crucible. You are right, and they are the ones that are going to be in HTC, but under LFM Esports flag. Awesome. So we, you and I, will sit down and do a full preview as we get closer to the season. But we have to ask for one prediction, one very important prediction. Michael Udall, is he still in the HGC at the end of this, after phase one, we'll say? After phase one, he will still be there. After phase two? Oh! (laughs) (laughs) When they don't make it to BlizzCon, then it's no. (laughs) Because that was the whole reason, right? Like, I I truly believe the whole reason was they didn't make it to BlizzCon. And he took his ball and went home. Could have been. I, I'm. I, Blizzard's never going to let me interview him again. He's going to listen to the show and he's going to like send me. He's going to send me nasty hype videos, <laughs> like super highly I, produced. I like him as a person, and I've met him before. And I, you know, but I, I I'm going to go along with the. Uh, yeah, I'll just put it out there. I did. I was not a fan of the whole way that this happened. I think it's a little too hokey, but the fans ate it up. So that's all that matters, I guess. I guess. Ugh, I feel so dirty even saying that. I know. <sighs> well, as always, thank you so much, Jules, for joining us. Uh, tell everybody where they can find more of your stuff. Go on to Twitter and find me at JulesRPG. You can find me as a recurring co-host on Convert to Raid and uh, and also Torrent Think Tank, which is my own produced podcast. 
Awesome. Thanks, Jules. And we're going to take a quick break. Seven's going to get another beer. Is it safe for you to have another beer? Possibly. I don't know. Depends. Are we playing War- or Warcraft? Edwards? Are we playing yes. War- nope, nope, nope. Not, nope yeah, clear, nope. Clearly cut off. We're now a Warcraft podcast all over again. When we come back from the break, Seven's going to sit down with both Dr. J and John Horseman from the Well Met Podcast, not both from the Well Met Podcast, separately, about, about the uh, next round of reveals from Kobolds and Catacombs. Hey everyone, I'm here with John Horseman, host of the uh, Overwatch League Daily Show and the WellMet Podcast, which is uh, the Hearthstone-related podcast, which is why he's here to talk about Kobolds and Catacomb, a couple of uh, cards that we we think might be maybe meta-defining or, or see some play, uh, and I want to get his opinion on it, so thanks for joining. Seven, I'm so excited to be here, a huge fan of the show, listen all the time. And so thank you so much for having me on. Oh, wow. Well, I didn't know you actually listened. <laughs> so the fact that you listened and you came on the show still, that's, that's great. That's great. All right, man. So let's go ahead and jump into a couple of the cards. Uh, before the show, I let you choose a couple that you thought uh, you might want to talk about. So let's just jump right into the new Rogue Secret, a.k.a. the Ice Block for Rogues, which is Evasion. It's a uh, two-mana spell, epic, obviously, for Rogue Secret with the text of, after your hero takes damage, become immune this turn. So, yeah, Ice Block in a way. Yeah, it's essentially an ice block. Uh, Danny from Well Met said called this one actually. It was it was pretty amazing. They were looking at the different um, flavors of the rogue secrets that we're seeing now and he just called this one. He goes, I think you're going to get an ice block like thing. And everyone else was like, no, they wouldn't do that. Ice block is about to be rotated out anyway. It's going to go to Hall of Fame. Yeah, they keep and threatening goes, that but it never happens. Right, yeah. <laughs> Anytime you can stall out for, you know, a turn is um, a, a really big deal. Now, this is obviously slightly worse than Ice Block because it's after your hero takes damage. So you get that damage in and then then the Ice Block goes up versus just not taking that damage. Um, after versus when is a big, big difference. Yeah. But... For Rogue, what we see with Rogue so often is, uh, especially even the best decks that they've gotten besides Quest Rogue, is, you know, you're always like one turn away from lethal. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, th- that's what this secret essentially does. And I think it's uh, a really great design. I think it's um, really interesting, though, with all of these secrets. They're really powerful secrets, but you'll notice they're in the two mana slot which uh, is obviously saying, hey, if you're going to run these secrets, no more Prince Keliseth. In all honesty, this is really going to help push kind of Rogue into more of that control uh, meta or, they've, or control kind of realm of deck building because they've been, they've been hinting at that. They've been trying to do it for I don't know how long. And it always ends up being like, well, okay, there's uh, Miracle or there's still Tempo or like an aggro build. Um, and that's just what always wins out with Rogue. Uh, but now you're, you're you're talking about this has the ability to stall for two turns because double it up in your deck, uh, possibly even more if you do like Mimic Pod or something ridiculous and get lucky. But you add in Valera and now you basically have three turns of stall so you can get into these late games. Uh, I still feel like this will probably be something that's added in with Miracle, <laughs> in all honesty, to buy you more time Definitely. to chew through your deck to get to like an OTK. Um, but ultimately, I think that... Uh, 
this might allow people to start building some of these later game um, uh, rogues that aren't necessarily an OTK, but have the ability to just kind of grind you down a little bit. And instead of always being one turn off, well, now they've got that turn that they need because they are just, you can't hit them. Uh, and, and also the one benefit to this over ice block is it could technically be used to fend off damage early on against something very uh, aggressive, right? So you've got a druid with a, a board full of living mana and they hit you for two and then it now negates everything else that is left on board, right? So it's a plus and minus to ice block where ice block would take all that damage until you die, but this would actually negate about like 12 damage, which is useful, yeah. So there's there's pluses and minuses to it. So it's not exactly an ice block, uh, but it's pretty pretty darn close. Yeah, I, I think for the reasons that you're saying, plus the fact that it's a mana cheaper, ultimately makes it probably just as good if we are correct in assessing that this is something that Rogue wants and this Rogue wants true. to play. Yeah, and that that's the big question. Um, I don't know if we'll ever see control rogue necessarily. I just, because of rogue's hero power being a weapon, uh, it means that you're either hitting face for one uh, or it means that you're taking damage, which means that control rogue is kind of hard to do because they don't really have a way to armor up. They don't really have a way to heal up inherent. There's some neutral cards, but ultimately... Uh, there's there's not a whole lot of utilities, especially in the strong you know rogue archetype. So talking about the long game here, let's jump on to the next card, uh, Twig of the World Tree. I think a lot of people kind of freaked out about this. Uh, I don't know if it's subsided or not. It's basically Coon in weapon form. Uh, what what are your thoughts around the new legendary weapon uh, for for druids? Again, it's a, a four mana cost. It's one attack, five durability. Uh, Death rattle is gain ten mana crystals. A couple people probably just gasped that they didn't realize what that <laughs> card was out there. Um, but effectively, you have to destroy the weapon to do it, which means if you cast it on turn four, uh, you probably won't get that 10 mana till turn nine. Yeah, I think this is definitely a card that has the theory crafting community pretty split. And the there's, I think, a few different ways to think about it. How good is it on turn four? How good is it? on uh, turn 10 and how good is it as the only card when you draw a late game, right? That that only card. On turn 4, it's not great. It's honestly not great. Um, it's so slow, right? Playing a 4-mana 1-5 weapon doesn't feel good at all. And I don't think you drop a 4-drop to run this card. I think you probably... Uh, either drop a, I think you drop a big card from Big Druid, but there are just so many. I mean, how much work can you do with twenty mana? Right, we've seen it with Coon. I think where this one is a, a little bit better is that you do have ways to destroy this with cards like Medivh, um, and it also basically stymies uh, your opponent from using Harrison Jones, Acidic Swamp Ooze. And with some of these weapons that we're seeing, especially these legendary weapons, it looks like if these weapons see regular play, it looks like you want to be running some weapon removal, which means that you've got a dead card when you're facing it. Right, right. And yeah. it's, a, it's a really cool uh, predicament that the game puts you in. You're, you're right in the fact that it does kind of negate some of those people who are teching in 
uh, anti-weapon. And I actually I th- forgot about uh, Medivh being a way to trigger this, which uh, makes it a little more interesting in the fact that you could pair this with, say, like Rummaging Cobalt, uh, which is like return a destroyed weapon to your hand. Uh, and, and gain 10 mana multiple times throughout the game, right? But So we were talking about um, playing this on turn four and that there, it being essentially a, a tempo drop. But the one thing I feel like with, with Druid is there's no real downside to this except tempo, which we already know that Druid doesn't have problems with, right? Their turn four is generally like sometimes, well, can sometimes be like, what, your turn one, right? So you're still, yeah. you, you just hit two mana, they're already on turn four, and now, basically, it could be your turn four or your turn five, and they're already on ten. And that's even more of a, a huge ramp ability that they have. But I think a lot of the ones that are ramping are playing these the big druid stuff, and I don't know where or what you cut from uh, from that deck that would fit this four cost. I mean, I don't think Coon is one that you want to drop, <laughs> obviously, um, no. because uh, you have the ability to gain 10 uh, armor off of that versus this. And so it, it's kind of hit or miss. I It doesn't seem like such a huge freak out because it's not like they can easily destroy it on their turn. Now, if this was like a a, a warrior weapon, everybody would be just shitting themselves because <laughs> it's like they can drop a, a, the next turn a fiery wind axe and just ramp up to 10. Um, but it's right. in Druid, and Druid doesn't have a lot of ways of doing that. So I, I don't know how much we'll see. Uh, this play, I think a lot of people freaked out the same way with Kuhn, and then Kuhn ended up not being so meta-defining in the end that maybe it kind of stymied some people from, like, absolutely, like, crying on the forums. Like, yeah. in real tears. They, they'll they always cry on the forums, but right. like, in real I, tears. I think with a more consistent way to trigger a 20-mana turn, I think Big Druid is a really natural fit. Um, and I think it, it, it does really well. And the, the question I postulated on well met is, is there, um, is there a world where big druid can survive and be competitive with 29 cards? And if it can, then this card is only going to make big druid better. And uh, personally, I feel like, yes, I think there's a lot of different cards that are nice to haves in Big Druids that you don't necessarily need. And I think that is going to be uh, one of the big things uh, for the success of this card. I do think that this will see play in any sort of slower uh, Druid deck. The question is, is will we get to a meta that supports uh, slower Druid decks, which... As we've seen, they it, it, it tends to be very quick before people start running aggro immediately because for some reason people just hate losing to slower druid decks. So uh, we'll have to <laughs> so see. It's J-Druid. J-Druid has ruined everyone. Uh, it's been yeah. meta so long that people just, you know, they see Druid and they just like screw it, going straight face until they get out uh, uh, anything that can just slow me down, right? Um, so let's, let's jump on to the last one here, which is Geosculptor. Yep. It's the warrior legendary eight mana, four attack, eight health. Uh, the text reads at the end of your turn, summon a random minion with a cost equal to your armor up to 10. Now warriors theme with this expansion is, is really been cards that interact with armor a lot. You're really pushing it deeper into that control. And what are your thoughts on this one? 
This one to me reads like Blizzard is interested in revisiting the control warrior archetype or wallet warrior back in the day to where you had some really powerful and we've even seen taunt warrior in the past, but there's it's generally been really easy for warrior to uh, gain some armor. And when you've got a card like this, first of all, eight attack is not easy to deal with. Or eight, eight health is not easy to deal with for anything but hard removal. And another big thing is you'll notice it's for attack. So immediately, amazing against priest. Yeah, yeah. amazing against priest. With those two things combined with a very combined with a very powerful, technically not a battle cry, but uh, at the end of your turn card text, it makes it so you you're getting a lot of value with that card even right away. Right. And I think that is, um, I think that's something that warrior warrior really values, especially slower warrior cards. Control warrior in the past has never been about uh, having a wide board; it's been having a tall board. Right? You basically never have more than one or two minions on the board at a time, and warrior really values cards that have uh, the ability to sustain a presence on the board for multiple turns. Um, and I think that this is another card that does that well. It's a little bit scary because it's a random minion, right? That's the biggest thing. But ultimately, I think uh, when people start theory crafting this card, I think it's going to win out. And I think we're going to actually see this card get paid, played. This is one of my sleeper cards that a lot of people are dismissing that... I think is actually going to be a really good card. Yeah, I mean, there's so many easy ways to gain mana or gain, sorry, gain armor with with uh, the warrior. I mean, Ironhide is just a one mana cost card. You, you know, it's five armor there, and that, so that's turn nine. You're getting a a four eight and a random five drop. Okay, that's pretty solid. But then if you want to go really crazy, you can use Bring It On, which is only two mana. So on turn 10, you're getting an, a 4-8 and whatever 10 drop you're pulling from your deck. And that's that's huge. That can be a huge tempo gain. Uh, it's a lot of it's, it's a big freebie. And I lo- know a lot of people are like, well, you know, Bring It On does reduce the opponent's minions in their hand by two, you know, where they can fill up that board. But holy crap, I mean, it's not hard to, with, with some of the new tools that they've, they've received, like Reckless Flurry, which is spend your armor and deal it to all, da- all minions. Like, it's not hard for them to clear boards now. They've got great board clears. So they can punch you in face for however much they want to, and then just be like, okay, cool, I don't need this board. I'll just do something big again and just, or grind it out. It's, it, I think that, you know, when you, you take this card and you throw it, uh, in with like say recruit both of them with the ability to kind of high roll a minion out of the deck for free and ahead of curve could be again that that wall, big wallet warrior i think is what it was called uh, yeah. and i think those types of decks there might be something there and i really like that they've doubled down on the armor being the key element in this expansion versus damaging your own minions because that just didn't really work <laughs> and it hasn't yeah. really worked. And so they've finally been like, Oh, Hey, there's been armor the entire time. Why don't we do something with armor being essentially like a bit of mana or having an effect on something. And uh, I, I like, I like where warrior is going, even though it's going way, way down that deep end of, of control. Um, and somebody just the other day had asked me if the, uh, the, the taunt warrior with the, the actual quest was still, viable and i was like well wait until we start getting more warrior cards 
And now I'm just even more scared that that thing's going to come back because there's so much armor already in that. And if you're able to pull out more taunts and you're able to just stall even more with things like Reckless Flurry, man, it's just it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty at all. And I, yeah, I don't know, man. It, that 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 uh, Quest Warrior was one of the ones I hated the most. That card, I yep. hate that. <laughs> just, Definitely. It's like the worst. Um it's cool that they're going, again, more of a control route. Uh, there's even been a couple of things, I think, that have maybe even negated, like, uh, Dead Man's Hand. So they're, I think they realize they screwed up with Dead Man's Hand when you have to go, like, so like 40 turns to end a ma- at the end of game. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see where, where they end up. But, John, thanks a ton, man, for uh, coming on the show, talking about uh, cards. It's always great to have somebody else's insight into these things instead of me just rambling on. Uh, let's give you a second to plug some of your stuff because you do a lot of things out there. So, yeah, where can people find you and your uh, work on the interwe- interwebs? Yeah. Internet, interwebs, all whatever. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, you can find me at Kick Tripod on Twitter, and I do two different shows uh, that are, quote-unquote, mine. Uh, the first one is Well Met. It's a Hearthstone podcast. You can find that on Twitter at Well Met Podcast or on the web, the interwebs at hearthstone.blizzbro.com or wellmet.blizzbro.com. Uh, you can go there. The other thing is my actually brand new project. It's uh, pretty exciting. It's a five day a week Overwatch League podcast. And that actually just debuted this morning. And I think, I think the reception has been uh, pretty amazing for it. You can find it. It's called Overwatch League Daily. You can find it on Twitter at OWL Daily Show or just type in Overwatch League Daily into your podcast catchers or YouTube or whatever. And it's right there. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks again, man, for uh, joining us on the show. And uh, we'll be back with some more Hearthstone reveals. Hello, everyone. I am back with Dr. J to talk about some more Cobalt and Catacomb uh, cards. Yes, cards. I don't know why I blanked on that one. But uh, thank you, sir, for uh, joining the show. Oh, thank you for having me on, Seven. Though it's uh, it's always great to look over some new cards. This is one of the most exciting parts of any kind of expansion is just getting to see these cards and trying to work in your head how they're going to work out on paper. Yeah, and then you have to like memorize them all because you've been getting more into casting. You're going to uh, is it Tespa this weekend? Yes, Tespa this weekend. I will be doing that. So of course, once the show drops, you have already been on Tespa. We just go go back and, and watch <laughs> watch you cast uh, the weekend's events in Hearthstone. But uh, before we get uh, we jump into this, I want to ask a couple different people. Uh, you being one of them, that's why you're on the show. Uh, what feature, card, or class are you most excited about uh, in the upcoming Cobalt and Catacombs expansion? Um, it's really hard to say, honestly. All of these classes are looking like they have <coughs> something to contribute. I like how Mage is going with this kind of control elemental variant i like how hunter is becoming the big easy hunter that people are talking about um druid we haven't seen much of druid recently paladin has the lanisa sunsara which is probably one of my favorite cards right now because i really want to make it work i'm not sure if it will with the other paladin cards announced but you know it looks like a lot of fun um priest got some really powerful dragon synergies rogue with uh one of the one of my favorite cards i like absurdly powerful cards and the feldori strider I believe it's how it's pronounced, the 4-mana 4-4 that shuffles three ambushes into your deck. Whenever they're drawn, you summon a 4-4 spider. That card is just absurdly powerful, and I really like it. Along with the uh, Kobold Librarian, which is the 1-mana 2-1 battle cry, draw a card, deal two damage to your hero. And that one is also absurdly powerful. And I just, something about broken cards just 
seems like so much fun. <laughs> so you mentioned that you're trying to figure out a way to get uh, Lenisa's son, son Sorrow to actually work in a deck. So uh, for you, those of you who obviously don't have it in front of you, it's a seven mana cost, uh, one attack, one health minion that the battle cry effect, uh, it's a paladin card, by the way, but the battle cry effect is cast each spell you cast on your minions this game on this one. So what is it about this card that one has drawn you to it? I know we didn't really mention we're going to talk about this beforehand, but you said you want, you like it. So you, you've been thinking about it, but what is it about that you like? Uh, and what do you think might work and why it won't work? So, what I like about this card is that it really rewards you for playing resources earlier on in the game. So it's a card that kind of makes you play things like Blessings of King, Steed, maybe some either minor buff cards. I'm not sure if you'd ever play those, but maybe. And it rewards you later on with a very powerful late game card. And I like the idea of I've used these cards in the past and they kind of benefited me then and now they're going to benefit me in the future whenever i draw this card i think this card will probably fit into some kind of mid-range deck maybe even like a murloc paladin um for the reason that you're already going to be playing steed and blessings of kings in that deck and if you ever land if you land a steed it's it's like playing a steed onto a one mana one one which sometimes we even do that with our hero powers and then if you land a blessings of kings and a steeds onto a minion before this card gets played on seven well then it's stat line is just incredible. It's a 7-11 that summons a 2-6 uh, with Taunt, and it's just the, yeah. the card is absurdly powerful at that point. The only the only thing I'm worried about with this card is that the other Paladin cards don't seem to support that so far, and there's only three more that can be announced. The uh, Legendary Weapon, which I don't think that'll buff anything, an Epic and a Common, so it's, it's really hard to say how much more buffing potential there is for this card it's in an interesting spot at a seven cost of mana right you have to kind of choose especially what we've seen like some of the murloc decks that maybe only really spell wise uh do run spike ridge deed right so like you you've got that buff and so on turn seven being able to drop that and automatically get that that's decent right i mean that's you, you don't have to worry about a minion sticking around so you pay one more mana to not have a minion stick around but at that spot you're also going to get sunkeeper tarum which is really really useful uh so but my other thought is too is uh arcane tyrant which was announced and i think we talked about on i, I talked about on last week's show which is a five mana cost uh cost zero if you cost a spell that costs five or more this turn so really just having spike ridge steed on its own in your deck could really benefit both of these minions um, I don't know if you thought about like even the arcane tyrant being added in on this whole piece as well. Uh, my thoughts on arcane tyrant are, I don't, I don't know how to evaluate this card. That's another card that's pretty, that's what I like about this set, right? A lot of these cards have never really been explored before. They've been explored in very minor cases and not to the extent that they're being explored now. So for instance, arcane tyrant costs zero. If you cast a spell that costs five or more this turn, five mana, four, four elemental, it's, it's really crazy to think I can go nourish for ramp, nourish for draw, and then play this guy, or I can go um, in some kind of mage deck. I can blizzard the board and play a free 4-4. I mean, there's so many decks that this card will work in. The issue is, does do those decks want to play a free 4-4 with their card? And I think most of the time the answer is no, but you you honestly never know. Like, this card could be pretty powerful, and the reason I say most of the time you're not going to want to play a free 4-4 is because when you're playing these cards, you have a game plan for something else. And if you don't have the select cards that they work with, because a lot of decks don't necessarily have all of the 
spells that have five or more. I think the biggest one that comes to mind is Druid, which runs like Nourish, Ultimate Infestation, so you can actually draw into this guy. Uh, it's it's really rough to say whether he's going to make a slot because in those decks they're already tied on room. They don't necessarily have all of the uh, all of these spells that cost five or more that you're constantly playing. And is a zero mana four four as as crazy as it sounds even good enough to be played? The one bonus to it though is, however, like if you do a, a complete board clear, uh, and then generally in large board clears, you don't have the ability to play a minion after it, right? So this gives you somewhat of a board presence, right? So you flame strike, you're getting basically a five mana minion for free after that. If you flame strike on curve, so you at least have something afterwards versus burning your entire turn destroying a board, right? And that happens a lot with like warlock and and uh, and and mage as well. So I, I don't know again, but it, it, it boils down to um, it, is there room? at turn for a for a five drop that is not useful essentially until turn eight right so it's like adding another late game card to your deck and most most decks um are are kind of tight on room and so yeah i I, i'm really torn on this one i I don't know where it will land but i know that like you mentioned combos with like ultimate infestation uh even spreading plague right spreading plague and then a free one like the spreading plague is already really annoying but then they also get a free four four out of it like that's it's just salt on the wound at that point if you're running an <laughs> aggro deck, right? So, um, yeah. So uh, let's move on to another card that we had talked uh, a little bit uh, beforehand about. Um, I did want to talk about Cataclysm. We just mentioned kind of this get rid of, uh, destroy the, the board. And this one, uh, for Warlock, it's a four-mana spell. Uh, it's destroy all minions and discard your hand, which is really uh, – it's a, it's a four-cost Deathwing, essentially. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting card. I I like the idea behind it. I like the fact that they, you know what, they gave one last card to try and really see if they can push this uh, Lakari sacrifice that they printed it on Guru and try and push um, control Warlock a little bit more with the control discard aspect. Unfortunately, I I don't really see this card seeing play just for the reason that. You know, the the effect is crazy, it's powerful, but the minute you play it, you do nothing else that turn except for maybe life tap, because you can't play any cards with it, because it's just going to do... I mean, maybe you can play a spell with it, you play a spell first, and then this card. And then if you're playing it on turn four, most likely, Hellfire would have done the same job that this card does. So, it's not like you really needed the Destroy All Minions tag, you just needed the Deal 3 Damage tag, which are you already provided in Hellfire, which does the exact same thing. And then... If you use it for spot removal, well, there's so many better cards in Warlock to use this with spot removal. So the only cute thing I can see being done with this is you play Lakari Sacrifice, you wait to turn four, and you just cast this card, get rid of your whole hand, maybe you discard some Silver Golems or Clutch Mothers, I I don't know, and then you play your um, five mana infinite three twos, but I don't know if that's good enough to see viability. Yeah, I think you're right in that slot, whether or not Hellfire would just do the same right for you especially on curve now i mean later in later in the game uh, it could be useful that you're only uh it's four mana to is discard your hand and if you're not running much of a hand or have much of a hand left which really isn't a problem so much with the warlock um because you're generally tapping leading up and trying to get to Gul'dan or something like that to kind of control the board uh, in the end game long game so being able to 
do that, then tap, and then maybe get something worth uh, four mana out as well. It uh, could be beneficial. Uh, silverware golems in your hand early on could be a, a great tempo swing, but again, you're dumping your hand, right? And, and so you, you are going to spend mana the next turn to kind of at least get an extra card back, or you're damaging yourself in some way. It's, it's tricky. I don't know where it will work. Uh, if we ever see kind of like this Highlander Warlock come back, it is another board clear for them, and it's another way of stalling. Um, but I don't see Highlander Warlock coming too back too much, I guess you could say. Um, it's not currently in the meta, I wouldn't say. There's been some some demon lock choices. I, mean, I think it was uh, Savitz was running something yesterday about it. Uh, we'll see. It's just not like a tier one, so I don't know how much play this one will see. But it is an interesting card. That It's the only discard mechanic, I think, so far that they've mentioned. I could be wrong on that one. But I know that I had a big worry that discard was going to be another thing that they focused on. And it's not been so much. They've actually done more on healing, I think, than anything else. Yeah, they did more on taunts, healing, and OP cards. Like, his. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, even Zulok's getting some love. That's what, I, that's what I'm loving about Warlock. Warlock probably is my favorite class so far that they've done because kobold librarian's absurd vulgar humongous is a great two drop for zoo yeah lesser amethyst spellstones great removal and heal and then even the taunt minions the void lord and the Rin the first disciple just seem like they can be standalone good cards maybe yeah i'm excited about warlock uh more than any other class right now i'm worried about warrior but i'm really enjoying warlock i think <laughs> uh so last card i wanted to chat with you about which is uh the sonya uh shadow dancer it's the legendary legendary rogue card it's a uh, three mana two two uh the effect is after a friendly minion dies add a one one copy of it to your hand and it costs one uh from a tempo standpoint or even a miracle standpoint, where do you think this fits in in terms of uh, rogue gameplay or will it see play? I think this card will definitely see play. I think it is a very strong, powerful card with a cool effect. I think if it does see play, it sees playing decks like Tempo Rogue and Quest Rogue. Um, I'm kind of excited because I think Quest Rogue, there may be something there. There may be something that revitalizes it, especially if people start to play things like this Control Warrior, Control Warlock. You know, Quest Rogue is really going to punish those decks and Sonya is just another card that enables you to get minions back to your hand which is something that you know ever since the quest got booted up to five it's been really hard to you know people can eventually complete the quest they would just rather have one or two extra cards to help them get to that point of completing the quest and you know Sonya helps them achieve that and also in Tempo Rogue it's just it's very good in a lot of situations you can Hold it in your hand, and then when you know a vile spine, you can like trade your vile spine up and get a free vile spine and then kill whatever you want. And then maybe Bone Mare. I mean, even in the early game, if you just <laughs> want to temper this out on three, you can trade off a Swashburglar or a Firefly and just get a free card back to your hand. Or even, even I think if, it's a pretty good card. Even if you're running Kelseth too, right? And Kelseth sticks for a turn, and you can drop this on turn three, get basically another Kelseth. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, really useful things in this and because it's also it it allows you to kind of handle when that minion dies in some aspects right like it's it's not a, only if it dies on a uh, an opponent's turn right so they they can't really control when this happens sometimes it just if you have a minion out and it sticks for a turn uh you have the ability to basically get it back in your hand it's uh, for for one cost and it's Pretty ridiculous, especially with all the battle cry effects uh, that that Rogue has. Right, you've got the ability to just destroy minions or buff them all by one one, and uh, or make copies of them and add it to a quest. I think it's 
it's a really strong card in a, a three slot that uh, doesn't screw with Tempo Rogue and uh, only makes it stronger, I think. And this is almost like an auto-include, I believe, on, on at least the current Tempo Tempo Rogue builds. It, I would definitely have it in there. So Yeah, I would agree. It's it's strong card. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. A little overpowered maybe, but uh, I think... We'll see. We'll, time will tell. Time, time will, will tell, tell, indeed. And we we um, That's the coolest part about just seeing these cards is that, you know... We can all say that, you know, Dustbreaker might be one of the best cards in the set so far announced, but, you know, they keep announcing more cards, and then we went, wait a minute, well, what about this new Warlock card? What about this new Rogue card? And then when all of it comes into the same ecosystem where we have all of these cards, um, that's when time tells what like what is truly powerful. Yeah, I think generally with reveals that there sometimes you you kind of do them in a in a vacuum or in the current meta standpoint, and it's not always how the meta is turning out, right? So once you've got them all kind of balancing, if everybody has an OP card, then nobody is really that special, right? So uh, it's kind of I guess that's how the saying goes, maybe on Hearthstone. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Dr. J, thank you for uh, joining the show and talking more about Hearthstone, uh, one of my my games near and dear to my heart. But uh, can you let people know a couple of things? uh on the internet where they can get a hold of you because you did just join space station gaming right i did space station gaming has been great to me they're a great great team great organization i've really been enjoying working with these guys and um if you want to get a hold of me i mainly use twitter and twitch and you can find me at dr jikininki that's d-r-j-i-k-i-n-i-n-k-i um i'm sure if you just type in dr j on twitter if you follow other hearthstone people you'll you'll probably find me um, and I stream, I try and stream as much as possible. I do a lot of stuff. I do a lot of traveling, try and enter as many tournaments as possible. But yeah, the two main ways to just find out what I'm up to or what I'm doing is Twitter and Twitch. Awesome. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, let's get back to the show. And we're back. And as, as I hinted at the top of the show, the Philadelphia Fusion are in a little bit of trouble. So you and I had predicted, um, probably half sarcastically and half you know non-sarcastically, whatever the opposite of sarcastically is, that it was going to be a bit of a shit show for Overwatch League Season 1. Um, and we didn't even make it into the first matchup of the preseason before things started to get a little squirrely. So the Philadelphia Fusion are in a little bit of trouble thanks to Sato and his apparent selling of boosting accounts. So if you're not familiar with what boosting is, basically you pay somebody who is much better at the game than you to go and level your accounts, whether that is to get experience or more likely to get um, competitive points and move up the ladder. And that apparently is what Sato has been doing. And as a result of this ongoing investigation, he has been suspended for the first 30 games of the Overwatch League season, which apparently does also include... The 30 does not include the um, preseason, but he's also banned from preseason as well. And as a result of that, apparently, despite having 10 people on the roster... They are unable to field a full roster and therefore will not be competing in the preseason and other teams will be filling their slots. And unfortunately, they were also the very first match of the preseason. <laughs> Just to add well, insult they, to injury. They were going against a team with the worst logo 
when the Florida mayhem. But no, <laughs> the the thing that does suck here is they did they had I think twelve players, but they're from ten different nations. So you had to get everybody from places like South Korea, uh, which is where Sato was from. Uh, you know, France, Finland, Spain. You had to bring all these people from all over the world to L.A. And, uh, you know, there's there's a process, right, with, like, visas and, and getting them to be able to work cause, because esports is a job, essentially. Uh, and, and in doing so, they only brought over uh, or worked for their first – basically, they're, they're starting six, right? And when one of those players is suspended, they run into a hitch where they can't field an entire team. <laughs> so, uh, again, I don't know if this is a weird thing with just uh, – a, a a group because this is uh, Comcast who basically owns this group. Yep. It's it just this is them not necessarily understanding or running into a thing where like fielding a team or, or management piece. Why, why, like you said, why can't you field with twelve players signed to the organization? You can't make a full team of six. Right, it's only you one you need to replace. Where's the other six? <laughs> yeah, you need you only need six. That's half of your half of your total squad and why is there not at least one person one person yeah. also in the states i don't i don't get it because even if somebody gets sick um you know injured anything right and they can't play you're you're gonna the, fail to field a team and that's basically what happens now i know it's only preseason, but you just skipped the first game for your team in the very beginning of a newly formed league this is just this sucks. Yeah. And now, in all honesty, Blizzard had to make the call. I think 30 games is really, really rough, especially when we look at some of the stuff that went on in League. Yes. But, uh, and I know you'll, you'll, you'll draw that parallel, but 30 games, holy crap. And kudos to them, because this is a ballsy move to suspend a player. You set precedent, it's great. Like, it's a ballsy move, though, because it's you've now knocked a team, and you may not have known this. But here's the other thing that's weird to me. The initial story that came out about Sato, they have been working with the Philadelphia Fusion for weeks around this disciplinary action. So that's even more lead time for them to know that they may need another player. Like that's the, this is just like yeah. gross mismanagement on my like that's my opinion here is that like you have twelve players, you only brought six total to the U.S. Like what were you going to do with the other six? Yeah, and you had no plans to bring him for how many months? Like, I don't understand why you can't get someone for just a, a, a day or two. Right? The preseason <laughs> like, is a perfect opportunity to test out some of those new players that you maybe not yeah. think are starters to begin with. Like, are you yeah, also you should have been working on squads? Yeah, you should have been working on like you're, you're starting six, and in doing so, you should have had twelve players uh, in the states, or maybe not necessarily twelve. Like, you, you I understand that there's, there's probably like a couple of vanity people maybe in there. It, or whatever you want to call it, uh, or, or or prospects, but just to not have six, I don't know. This is bad. I, I don't, I don't get it. It it looks poor. But again, kudos to Overwatch League for stepping up and saying we're doing this. We don't want this. It's a very, very, very harsh decision in comparison yeah. to other punishments. Just to kind of draw, and it's hard to draw a full parallel, right? Um, but Khan from Longzoo Gaming in the LCK was banned from competing 
in one best of three match and find $920 for behaving badly in solo queue, which is obviously very <laughs> much different than breaking the terms of service of the game of Overwatch by selling, basically playing other people's accounts for money. So I get there is definitely a huge right. difference in the infractions that we're talking about. But I'd also argue at this stage that a match missing a match in the LCK is maybe a little more higher stakes than season one of Overwatch League. No offense, Overwatch League, but um, it, yeah, it's interesting. It's gonna be interesting to see how this all plays out long term, right? This is not gonna be the first incident that happens, or you know, this is not going to be the last incident, I should say, that happens in Overwatch League, or you know, it will continue to have issues in League of Legends and seeing like how those two organizations and how the two developers choose to continue to discipline players and set those precedents. But this is a very harsh precedent. Um, and it's got to make organizers a little nervous because esports players are notoriously bad about some of this stuff, right? Like shit yeah. talking on ladder, um, doing shady stuff for money. I guess their hopes are that now that these players, because this, to be fair, this happened before he was an Overwatch League player. So I think they're kind of saying they basically were saying like his circumstances now hopefully have changed now that he has a professional Overwatch League contract and he won't feel the financial pressure to need to do these things. But when some player from some random team drops a racist, right. you know, comment in somebody catches it on a stream or in recording, like what are those? What is the punishments going to look like? And so far, it yeah. seems like pretty damn harsh. Yeah, and, and we've seen this in the past where they, we've had a couple of uh, players, especially in the Overwatch, uh, you know, arena. I don't want to say league, but just playing the game in in that uh, in the community, say some really bad things. Uh, I think it was one of the Toronto esports players most recently was like the example of that. Um, yep. But I, I don't know. This just feels like mismanagement from Philadelphia Fusion, uh, basically a Comcast uh, company <laughs> mismanagement. They they probably sure. sent out the wrong technician. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you're owned by Comcast. Uh, you're going to get a lot of horrible jokes about that. And and the fact that they've dropped the ball on this really doesn't surprise me because it is Comcast. Uh, but he'll be there somewhere just, between two and nine p.m. It, it this is a prime example of growing pains. And I mean, I look at teams. Who, especially in uh, you know CS:GO, um, we you talk about SK Gaming who has to get someone who's literally playing there like with bolts playing it in another team's jersey because they needed a backup player. Yep. And and so these teams are able to get a player uh, and and make substitutions. And this isn't a. It doesn't sound like it's a. Blizzard is saying, no, you can't have a substitute because you've declared your starting six. It's a, we don't have a physical player to put their butt in the seat. Yep. And that is uh, really just poor management. And that's it just is. some growing pains of a, a, a an organization that's not in esports normally having problems managing within this ecosystem. Yep. But if they need backup, I play Mean Junk Rat, and I'll be in L.A. for the first day of preseason. So, just saying, <laughs> you need some epic junk ratness. I am here to help. I won't even take a salary. I'll just hopefully I'll you'll a, just like give I'll me like a get a out of jail now. free card, you know, where I can uh, cancel my Comcast without being harassed. Like I would. That'd be great. 
That's all I need in return. Well, while, here's the thing. It's like while I'm there and I'm playing, uh, it's okay if I just turn in the extra modem I forgot to send back to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and does this count towards my unlimited bandwidth limit? <laughs> oh, man. man. <sighs> Can I get that cap raised? <laughs> Damn Comcast. Oh, man. Also coming out it's of Overwatch League this week, though is that we are going to get a new currency. So one of the questions that we had coming out of BlizzCon when they were showing off the team-based skins is, those look awesome in some cases. How are we going to get said skins? And now it looks like that you are going to get this new league token, and these league tokens can be used to purchase these skins so they will not be well so far it doesn't look like they will be available via loot boxes and everybody at the start of the overwatch league season will be given enough tokens to purchase a single new skin of their choice but it's interesting that they chose i mean i I suppose they needed a more direct method in this case right because i don't think buying if i if you're trying to sell the idea that i am a london spitfire fan you it's kind of a weird story to tell me that i then need to go buy these overwatch league loot boxes in hopes of getting a skin for my team and not a skin for other teams i don't give a crap about well so they i think they've declared that they're not Going to be in loot boxes. Yes, correct. It's going. It's going to be a flat out currency in which you can buy a single skin with, or however many skins you want to buy with, however many tokens you have. They haven't said anything about how you acquire the tokens. Nope. Uh, outside of if you log in during, I think it's like preseason or just like the month of December. I think you get enough mm-hmm. uh, to immediately just pick one skin. But if you look at, there's a total of something like 312 skins. Yes, because that, every team right. has the skin for every hero. Right. And so you, but the cool part is you get to choose what you want. So if you uh, are a Mercy main or a Reinhardt main and you just want uh, Philadelphia Philadelphia Fusions or you want, uh, you know, you want the Mayhem's, you know, outfit, then go for it. Right. Yep. Um, If you want some heavily, heavy beveling, uh, Boston (laughs) is the skin for you. Do you Uh, think there's like, what's Sato's main? Can we get like an invisible Sato skin? Uh, you get it, but you actually, uh, it won't arrive for you to play with it until after 30 games are, are it's been locked out. Yeah. So they they had to introduce some sort of more direct method and this is going to be that direct method for you to support the teams, which makes sense. Like you said, it's, it's a far better method of doing it than like buying Overwatch League loot boxes and hoping that I get the one for the team that I want. Yeah. But this is nothing new. I mean, we knew that they were going to sell individual items in game to support the teams. It, this this doesn't come as any surprise. I think people would have flipped their shit had it been in a loot box yep. uh, or attainable through this currency that you have to earn in some. Well, we ha- we don't know how you earn it yet, but I'm assuming you just buy it because it's money. So I wonder if they're going to tie this to it. viewership though. Uh, they they could they could do rewards for yep. viewership, right? Which is um, not I, like to be honest. I think it is a better I method. Cool. Like I, I would yeah. rather like earn tokens for watching and like I don't know what you end up like if I watch like a stage's worth it, it unlocks a skin. I don't know what the, well, the the right balance is there, but like that doesn't seem like a bad idea. We've seen some things uh, with oh, we've definitely seen some things, but uh, we've yes, seen we some have. things with like CS:GO uh, during the the majors. Valve sending out. 
uh, individual things. Even paladins will message you. Uh, High res will message you during like paladins tournaments and give you yep, Dota's certain big on this giveaways. As well. Yeah, yeah. So the, there's there's ways of doing it, uh, and that would be a, kind of a cool way of of getting people to watch more. It's an incentive to watch. We still don't know what their viewing experience outside of different flashing colors and, and kits is, but it's. <laughs> But in terms of like, you know, who are they going, are they going, are they trying to broadcast deal with, right? And so this is, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we could speculate on it, but at this point in time. They love when we speculate it, on it. It's it's this weekend. So, yes. I'm going to be there um, in like two days. Like my flight leaves on Wednesday morning. So Yeah. It's like, I, I feel like we've been speculating over the Overwatch League for a year now. I really don't care for the next four days. I just want to watch some Overwatch this weekend. I wish, I wish they would just... What is the problem with just completely announcing something? Why do you have to announce the tokens and not how you can get them? It just drives me insane. It, I, I don't... It's either one of two things. Either they don't want people freaking out about it, or, or two, they know. haven't settled it on it 100%. Then wait to announce the damn thing. It's not like there was this upswell of Reddit threads about, like, oh, how am I going to get these skins? It's the end of the world if I don't know tomorrow. That's the, that is what drives... Maybe they, maybe they secretly love when we go and speculate because it keeps it in the news, but I, I just feel like if you would just announce everything whole hog, no pun intended, like, it would be a lot easier on them on us and probably just a better experience like if i if you came out with this and said hey by watching overwatch league here's what's going to happen you're going to get this many tokens and if you watch for this many hours you can get a skin like great awesome thanks and if not for 1999 you can buy x number it'll of course be just enough to get like a skin and a half so you have to keep spending money yay microtransactions and we're, we're done with it like i would just much rather see that than this like constant like here's a little bit but not the whole thing. Here's a little bit. And that's why we get this perception of things not being together because it never feels like they have the whole story for anything that they announce. Yeah, because they do the bits and pieces. And I I, I don't know if it, they're doing it because they're not ready to say something about it sometimes or they're doing it because they don't want to deal with a fan reaction to something. Uh, just like how we've talked about Hearthstone doesn't want to release certain cards because of they don't want the, the, the community freaking out about something. Uh, and so they kind of release maybe the more controversial cards closer to when the, everything comes out because, well, people will only complain about it for a couple of days. And so maybe we'll know in like two days uh, what will happen. Maybe we'll know day of, right? Um, I, I should hope we know day of. It, it, I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. And, and, but again, it's it feels like another kind of half-baked false start maybe on something um, because they're trying to put it all together. Maybe they haven't negotiated the the proper rates on it. Uh, right. Maybe they've got to double the cost of everything for people in the EU. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what it is, and, and because a lot of that, uh, there's there's a, a lot of hoops. It's not easy. It's not like hey, it's a dollar ninety nine for a token, and one token equals one skin. It's not that easy. And so, nope. I get it. I get it. Um, they just we we know how it is with Overwatch, and sometimes it gets a little convoluted and it gets a little worrisome that maybe it's not all together especially when you have a team that can't field a team. <laughs> one more shot at the fusion one more but that being said like i'm with you i'm stoked like it's finally happening uh, i'm getting on a plane on wednesday morning i'm flying down to la i'm gonna watch me some overwatch league like legit overwatch league in the blizzard arena 
Christmas came early. Yeah, I'm debating, like, do I frantically buy the jerseys when they go online on Wednesday, or do I assume that I can buy them while I'm there at the preseason? I imagine they're going to be on sale there. Maybe, with tokens. With tokens. I don't know. You may have to do, like, the Goonies chunk truffle shuffle for a token. (laughs) While you're there, and uh, so just be prepared. I want one of those Spitfire jerseys. Now there's home and away jerseys, too. I saw that was teased by a couple of the teams, so I'll be interested to see Mm -hmm. if those are available right from the get-go. But I'm all in on the Spitfire. That's my decision. Like, (laughs) bias journalism aside. (laughs) Yeah, right. I will never say anything Welcome to the dark side of C9 management. (laughs) However, they do have a full team. Yes, yes, they do. And they're probably going to win it all because they're awesome. Go Spitfire. Woo! Anyway. Well, that's what happens when you buy the top two or three teams and just throw them into one, maybe. We'll see. Well, as long as you bring them all to the country at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. (sighs) I just don't even know what to say about that anymore, except just, I'm just going to laugh. Thank you, Comcast. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for delivering in unique and interesting ways. We appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Moving on, it's now time to talk a little bit more Counter-Strike. Seven, you got the chance once again to sit down with our friend Kevin Hitt. Hello, everyone. Back again to talk about the E-League CSGO Boston Major happening in January. Uh, joining me again is the the lovely, the the very, very handsome uh, Kevin Hitt to talk um, about some of the legend teams we have in this tournament. And this one's, uh, this is the big one. This is kind of like the, I think this is like the juiciest segment. We've got SK and Immortals this time around. Yeah, well, I appreciate that lovely intro. You know, my modeling ended <laughs> when my hair left, so that was a, a, a long time ago. But um, I'll tell you what, there is nothing more exciting for me than talking about Brazilian Counter-Strike, and let me tell you why. The passion and the absolute dedication uh, that these Brazilian guys put into the game is amazing. And I've had multiple conversations with all the guys on, on both these teams about where they've come from. You know, and I've asked them, you know, what would you have done without this opportunity to play Counter-Strike? And, you know, it, it ranges from, you know, I'd be working at my mom's store to I'd be back in Brazil trying to find a job. You know, these guys have found their way out of Brazil and they have such life, such passion that I love watching them play and talking about their Counter-Strike mm-hmm. is something that's very exciting for me. As we're recording this, Immortals is still kind of ex-immortals uh we don't exactly have we, we there's rumors of what may be going on with them uh but let's talk about immortals because that's the interesting piece as of this moment uh what the hell's going on with immortals well apparently it looks like um the three guys that have left the team have formed their own group taking fnx and bit with them uh rumor on the street is that they are going to be playing with um uh, under Nade Shot's banner, the 100 Thieves banner, um, they might be named something else. But they now have the three-fifths requirement to take that legend spot. So, <laughs> you know, I wrote an article about a month ago titled, um, Will Steel and Bolts Be Left Outside to Rust? And apparently that's exactly what happened. And, you know, it, it's really bothersome to see, uh, you know, the two good guys in this whole thing get left out. Um, but I guess we're, we'll go ahead and talk about the chances of, of this particular squad. Um, to be perfectly honest, I don't think that they have a foil. They don't have anybody mm-hmm. to counteract um, the behavior and the personalities. And even though I love them, I, I really do. They're good guys. 
um, there's nobody there to calm them down. There's nobody there that's going to take them from yelling and screaming to, okay, we need to focus again. And if they get caught up in a, a, a uber aggressive style, they're just, it's just not going to happen for them. And not having a great amount of time to work together and practice together. Gosh, darn it. I love them. But I, I think, you know, this team is, is headed that they're going to have to play in qualifiers for the next major. Yeah. And, and once again, we have another E-League major in January with the team kind of rolling in that is newly formed, uh, recently formed from pieces of a broken up team, just with the ability to get into the major or legend status, essentially because of past performances, uh, North being basically last year, ex Dignitas, if I'm correct. Yes. Uh, it would be interesting to see where they, they land because North did not fare well last year. And even though you want that to be a story, these guys are coming in on their own and doing their own thing. Uh, I think North has, a, you mentioned, a completely different temperament than Immortals. And if, I feel like if North couldn't do it uh, with their mentality, I don't know if Immortals is going to, if there's going, if, if they're going to be able to do it. And maybe it could, it could be that. It could just be that, like, you need that fire and that's them. Um, and maybe they just need to be there to, to prove one to themselves, but to prove everybody else and to, that, you know maybe that pissed off fire gets them somewhere where North isn't uh, so much like that. So I don't know any thoughts if, if that's going to be for or against, it sounds like you're against, I don't know why I'm asking you, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I'll tell you what I just, again, what I thought that steel and bolts did for that team again was balance out the mentality of the squad. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I have listened to their comms. I've listened to these guys yell at each other and Bolton steel, you know, have kept calm. Although I will see, uh, you know, steel has started, uh, speaking up for himself and he's starting fighting back for things. Um, but as you can see, you know, with steel going to liquid, um, you know, and bolts going to SK, um, the, those two guys were the counterbalance and they've just added more fire. They've added more fuel. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that you can keep an emotional tidal wave going for the amount of time it takes to win a major. And FNX is no stranger to top end play either. So they, they've definitely, uh, they've got, again, a solid squad with um, a lot of experience. And so you, you mentioned bolts being left out uh, to, to rust, but not necessarily. I mean, he, he had an amazing run with SK. I believe it was, was it at epicenter? Um, or was it ESO one? I can't No, It was a center. It was that episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, just, uh, coming in as up, still wearing his immortals Jersey, essentially playing for SK on that main stage. I think like second in like KDA the entire time, just an amazing performance. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about SK. They are still really hot, obviously. Yeah. I still peg them as the number one team in the world. And you know what? Some people may need to understand is when you rank a team, you know, number one in the world, that doesn't mean that they have to win every single tournament. You know, it's it's a lot like how um, golfers do their, you know, their ratings. You finish first here, and then you take a second, and you take a third. And the aggregate of the total body of your work shows that you are the best golfer in the world. That's exactly what SK does. They just don't finish poorly. 
You know what I mean? They may have the occasional, uh, you know, aberration like uh, I am Kato Vita where they finish 11th, uh, 12th. But if you just look at the body of work from SK, they're so consistent. You know, again, they've got the best player in the world in Cold Zera. They've got, you know, arguably, you know, the top three operas in the world in Fallen. Um, and the, I think, again, one of the players that is completely underrated in terms of skill set is Taco. And, you know, I talked to him last year in Las Vegas, and I wrote an article called, you know, Taco is embracing his new role as the shield. And because his KD <laughs> have been, you know, under one. And, you know, I asked him and he goes, Kevin, my, my whole role changed. I said, talk to me about that. And Taco told me that his job was to gather intelligence, literally, you know, damage, damage the enemy a little bit, but give his teammates enough information that they know where and what they need to do. And obviously that's been working. If you look at yeah. how they're playing, um, you know, it was so funny. There was a tweet Taco did, which he was joking around with those SK guys about quitting or something. And he goes, if anybody needs a guy that can defend the B-bomb site, DM me. And that's Taco to a T. He can defend, get you the information you need, and he makes the other four team, uh, four teammates on his uh, squad a lot better. So that's what I love about SK. They all have intersecting parts that work very well mm -hmm. together. And that's why I think SK is definitely uh, the favorite to win this thing. A lot of people would look at some of his stat lines and be like, oh, he's the weak link and yada, yada, yada. But they all play their own specific cog in the wheel kind of thing. It may not be the, the flashiest, but their win performance uh, and where they place in tournaments is obviously uh, indicative of, of everybody just playing their part. And and Sub's coming in, and you mentioned how he's kind of like that level-headed person who's coming from Immortals, and they've lost that. I've not seen someone really just mesh so well as a Sub as Bolts did at Epicenter. It was almost as if like he had been playing with them for a very long time. It just took off. It was just part of the team to begin with. You have to know these guys all scrimmage and play with each other all the time, you know, because um, they speak Portuguese and they're they learn strats with each other and things like that. And the thing that Bolt has been doing so well, again, the same thing as Steel, is he's a, he's a stoic. He he can he's so analytical. He can play the game, analyze things, and keep a level head no matter what. Um, one of the very good guys in all of Counter-Strike. He's kind. He gives his time to the press. He gives his time to fans. And, you know, it's really cool to see somebody like that succeed. And he is going to be, you know, he won't be able to play in the major. But he is going to have a fantastic role with SK when this major is done. And I look forward to some, I, I think SK is going to be even better once uh, Bolt is firmly established on that roster. Oh, that's right. He totally can't play in the major because of the immortal yeah. stuff. Oh, uh, well, so scratch everything I mentioned about bolts. I totally forgot that. Uh, still, you're still, the things you said were still right. He just won't be with. He uh, just won't be with them. Right. Correct. So uh, we'll see who can fill in for bolts. <laughs> All right. Again, thank you, uh, Kevin, for uh, hopping on and chatting about uh, the E-League major uh, in Boston. Again, that uh, kicks off January, the weekend of, of January 12th through 15th. And uh, we'll see that championship, the quarterfinal semis, and all that fun stuff happen on the 26th through 28th. Uh, head over to eleague.com for more info. And Kevin, real quick before I let you go, uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? 
yeah, you can see me on Twitter at, at Kevin underscore hit. You know, my stuff, I'm living that freelance life right now. So you can see my stuff on ESPN, Red Bull Esports, and a new little venture called Break the Game. So go ahead and check those out. And that is going to do it for another monster show. We really should be better about this. Like, we, we have become too ambitious. We just need to talk less. That's really what it boils down to. Yeah, it, it really kind of does, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, just you should just start rolling the credits right now. Yes, <laughs> done. yes, it is done. We'll get like the credit crawl going. Oh, man. But as always, you can catch this episode and every episode on Tuesdays on iTunes, Overcast, Pocket Cast, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and over at our site at nerfthis.gg. And we love those reviews. If you get a second, leave us a review on iTunes. The more you leave reviews, the more people discover us. And that's great. Maybe someone from Comcast will discover the podcast because of your review. <laughs> I don't know if they want that. They'll discover some of the things we're torrenting while podcasting, <laughs> and we don't want that. But, no, in all honesty, like, we, we've had a couple of people on Twitter this this week uh, referring uh, random, I don't know, like, sports people in general, uh, or other listeners to, to the show. And that's awesome to see um, that they're, you know, people are spreading the gospel of the us gospel for like wow the, of, of yes of us saying esports are a thing PUBG will rule all no just in cloud nine will win and uh spitfire will will Go win all spitfire. of overwatch league and um sorry comcast <laughs> i don't know where you were going with that one last time i think what you were really <laughs> trying to say was if you have the time to do that we'd also appreciate a review while you're thinking of us yeah that that too that's where you were going okay i just really thought you were you got lost the beer it's been a long show it, it happens man we're at the end of the show uh that was an 8.3 abv yeah yes Whoa. and of course you can check us out on the social media facebook and instagram nerf this gg and on twitter where apparently seven really really likes it if you talk to us at nerf this crew and we've got another big show coming up as we always do every week i feel like i'm selling it constantly but we've got more counter-strike with <laughs> Nonstop, nonstop <laughs> selling. Uh, I got Vain Glory Worlds coming up. We have the Overwatch preseason, of course. We have the Capcom Cup coming up. The Boston Major, uh, all them esports. We are not going to get a break until Christmas. Mm, this weekend's Christmas. It's not this With weekend. Overwatch. It's the oh Jesus. Bah! Bah! This is the worst way to end a show ever. Holy I crap. Apologize. On yeah. that note, uh, we will be finding someone to replace seven if anybody's interested. Shoot that over to show at nerfless.gg. We will see everybody next Tuesday for yet another episode. <laughs>